Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, thank you for joining us here for podcast episode 36. Uh, tonight, we're going to be talking a lot about Diamondback Terrapins. Um, as always, we've got Anthony with us. Uh, we also have Kevin Minto joining us on air for the first time. Um, Kevin has been producing most of our YouTube content since the beginning of December and is doing a great job. And also we have Jack Berlin as our special guest joining us tonight. Um, Jack is heading up an effort in, um, in Florida to build a Terrapin Center, and we're going to get to be talking about a lot of that tonight. We're going to be giving you some information where you could go to even donate to his efforts um, if you feel so led. Um, so, <clears throat> Jack, it's really good to have you with us. Um, we're really excited that you're here. Um, why don't you actually just start by, you know, telling us a little bit about your background and maybe how you got into turtles. Cause I think, you know, that's, it's always fun to hear stories about, you know, how we all got into turtles. Cause everybody's got a different one, different age, uh, different weird experience sometimes. So let's just start there. Okay. Well, first of all, thanks for having me guys. And, and Anthony has been out to see the center and I really appreciate that, uh, that video that you guys threw up and, and Kevin, thanks for doing all the uh, hard editing of that to make me actually look halfway intelligent. <clears throat> My turtle story is, is very accidental. Um, I think it was just a lot of things colliding, uh, sort of the perfect storm. Uh, I actually live on a, a brackish water creek in, in Tampa Bay, and my wife and I were sitting out having a cocktail one day, and she says, what's that in the water? And I got my pool net, which I usually leave on the dock to pick up trash because I'm, I just can't let it go by. And I scooped this little turtle out of the water that was on its back doing the backstroke, and I threw it in an aquarium that I happened to have up at the, at the deck. And I said, oh, it must have been a box turtle or something that shouldn't be in the water, that fell in the water by accident. And then a couple of days later, I take a look at this thing and I said, that's got weird bumps. And that's kind of a weird looking turtle. And I started doing my research and talked to a friend of mine that was a vet. And he said, you've got a diamondback terrapin baby, hatchling. And so that's sort of my introduction to hatchlings, but that came together with a couple other things. When I started doing research on terrapins, I then realized my past experience with terrapins. I grew up in Savannah, Georgia. Oh, the yeah. island is huge with terrapins. Uh, as a kid, yeah. I can remember going to Thunderbolt, uh, which is on the, uh, on the estuary there off the Savannah River, and they had huge uh, um, I don't even want to call them aquariums, but there were pens of terrapins. I'm older. This has not happened in a long time, but they used to ship terrapins. They would capture them and ship them to New York to make soup out of. And I used to love going there and seeing all the terrapins. And it was, I wasn't old enough to realize that they weren't going to be alive very much longer. And then in my driving period, Tybee Island, which is Savannah Beach, Every spring, right about now, as a matter of fact, our friend Jordan's probably got his crew out there on the road. There is a slaughter yeah. of female terrapins on Tybee Road as people drive to and from the beach as the, the females are coming to nest. Um, I, that was just, that set a guilt trip going. Um, and so I, I kept getting more and more interested. I set up the Facebook page. That's how I got introduced to you guys uh, some years ago. <laughs> and as fate would have it, 
my son was going to a high school that was a Tampa Prep Terrapins. And so I brought my first rescue Terrapin and the one I had found in the, uh, in the water some years before to their science club, and none of these kids had ever seen one before. Oh, wow. And I said, yeah, absolutely, wow. And as I did research and I saw what they'd done in New Jersey and South Carolina and, and you know, in, in Georgia and other places for Terrapin centers, I said, we need one of those. And that's how this idea got started. It was um, part guilt trip, but um, I, I fell in love with them. I fell in love with their story. And then I fell in love with all the people I met. Yeah, you mentioned Jordan, actually. Now that I think about it, it was the June episode of the podcast last year. We actually went live from uh, one of the, you know, the roadway where Terps does a lot of their work with Jordan and our own Amanda Sargent was down there with them. And so um, Kevin and Anthony, apparently next June, we also have to find a Terrapin thing because apparently that, that's our June thing. I don't know. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. Kevin's the guy. Kevin's your guy. <laughs> Listen, here's the plan. Hopefully his exhibit will be done by next year. I'll go down there in June to see it. Oh, that would be awesome. Don't, Could don't, go live from the Terrapin Center next June. Don't <laughs> let your mouth write checks your butt can't cash. That's all I'm going to say. Jack, it's up to you, man. You got to get it done by then. <laughs> I have more faith in him. So. Getting, I have more faith in him building a center than I do in you getting to Florida. <laughs> oh, ooh. It's a 24-hour drive. You know, how hard can it be? I didn't mean to jump on you. Welcome to the podcast, Kevin. I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean to jump on you so early. Hey, don't forget I know where you live. <laughs> That's true. We're like five minutes in and I'm already giving you a hard time. I'm embarrassed. And Steve's drinking water. Sorry, Steve. That's okay. You all right? We good? I'm, I'm great. Yep. All right, good. Wet your whistle. Perfect. <laughs> Gotta so keep it fresh. So um, a question for the Diamondback Terrapin experts in the, uh, in the room here, uh, even though we're all in different rooms. Um, Florida has the richest diversity in Diamondback Terrapins as far as the amount of uh, subspecies. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah, there's five different species and subspecies there. Right. I think that's wonderful, and, and that just points to how important it is for Floridians to take, you know, take it seriously, at least somebody to step up to the plate and, you know, care about this, you know, the, the diversity that's there and the animals that are there, because it's, it's very likely that these, you know, uh, uh, kind of siloed populations uh, don't get, you know, um, mixed up any more than they already are. And, you know, um, obviously they're kind of, uh, in their own geographic areas. So you don't want to uh, let any one of those populations be compromised in any way. So I think it's even more important. I guess that's more of just a statement than a question. But uh, I'll make some of your viewers angry. Um, we have the most beautiful uh, <laughs> terrapin subspecies, the ornate, right here in Tampa Bay and, and of course, on western coast of Florida. But um, yeah, it, it is disturbing. We do have good terrapin expertise in Florida. There's, there's good researchers here, and uh, the, the Florida environmental laws haven't been as kind to terrapins as they have in some other states. So we don't have a, 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 a total excluder device law here. I know they've been fighting for that. Um, but there is a lot of expertise here. And I, one of the hopes for the center is just to raise awareness, but also to give 
some of the experts in and around west coast of Florida a place to to continue what they're doing and maybe raise more awareness. Right. So when you talk about the turtle excluder device, um, what type of uh, trapping are they doing down there that's that's not using the device? Just, I mean, for somebody who's from the Northeast, I'm wondering what, you know, what type of... Uh, it's the same. It's blue crab. Commercial. Yeah, yeah. So it's those crab traps, um, they basically a turtle excluder device would be like towards the top of the uh, top of the trap so that the turtles can come to the top to surface for air, find the hole that they can fit through and, and get out of the um, Actually, no. trap. Actually, no. If you remember the video that we did, um, there's actually an orange, there was a picture when you went across a crab trap, there was an orange mm -hmm. device over the mouth and it keeps an adult size, uh, some of the smaller males and, and juveniles, but they probably could get out as well through, because most crab traps have a hole big enough for smaller crabs to get out. Mm -hmm. um, but if an adult sized turtle goes into a crab trap after the same food a crab would want, they will, in fact, drown because they can't get out. So this actually keeps them from being able to go in at all. The, the, uh, the knots on the top of their shell would bump into the, the, the turtle excluder device, and, and certainly the females, as large as they are, would not be able to get in. Right, and it's rigid, so um, it has no give, and it's not right. very tall. It's wide, but it's not very tall. Right, and, and studies out of the University of Georgia have shown that, that actually – Having turtles in a trap actually lower your yield of your crab trap. Um, but I think that that's just one of several things in and around the west coast of Florida, probably the entire eastern United States as well, between crab traps, you know, all the way from New England all the way down to the Gulf Coast, but also seawalls, which is limiting a lot of their nesting areas. We've seawalled everything. Oh, very nice. There you go. There you go. They're Very all nice. about 35 cents in quantity, if not less. <laughs> I think it's so interesting what you said, too, about, you know, you're, go you're potentially going to catch, you know, a lot less crabs if you have terrapins getting into your traps. And that's, there is a picture that's the way on the internet from a University of Georgia study, <laughs> I believe, over 100 dead terrapins in a crab trap. You wow. can imagine that no crabs would fit. It's, it's one of the most painful looking uh, photos I've ever seen. It's probably over a decade old now. But, mm -hmm. uh, you know, but the, the population in my hometown of Savannah, is, as Jordan would attest, is down mostly because the only ones that are getting hit on the road are gravid egg-laying females. And you can't continue to take the, uh, mm -hmm. the female population with eggs out um of the population and, and and hope for the species to do well right absolutely but i, I think you know if, if you're going to catch less crabs because there's terrapins in there either scaring off the crabs or taking up all the space in the trap then that's the argument you want to make because obviously humans you know we want what we want and you know there's no way there'd be a four inch law outlawing the uh possession of uh, pet dogs because <laughs> children might eat their poop and get E. coli, but there is that law for for turtles, and it's because they're you know they're seen as an exotic pet and not necessarily a necessity the way that dogs are seen as a necessity in our lives. Um, but that's the argument you have to make, right? Is that you know you want to be able to catch your crabs and you know put food on the dinner table 
then we want to make sure we keep the terrapins out of the traps for that reason. Not because anybody, you know, less let, more people care about blue crabs on dinner plates than they do about terrapins in, in the bay. Or, or You're in the absolutely right. The argument is the one to make one of appeal for, for economic benefit because it's a very, you can imagine that fishermen are very anti-regulation, anti the government telling them what to do. The best argument to make is this might help your business. Um, I don't expect it anytime soon in the state of Florida, but hopefully again, through actions like what we're trying to do here in Tampa Bay and, and other actions, we raise awareness. That's one of the things that hopefully uh, this type of project will do. Absolutely. Absolutely. A, uh, a few years ago, I was on an eco kayak tour in Seattle City, New Jersey. And the lady that was leading it was, she was told us anyway, that she was part of the team that developed the turtle excluders. Um, and how when they tried getting it initially rolled out, nobody would do it at first, you know? And they actually had to create an acronym. And I don't remember exactly what it was, but I think it was something like, like excuse me, boob, uh, to put in like, you know, the, the articles for it to get people to come down and find out about it. Otherwise, no one was coming to see it. Where did you say that was, Kevin? Uh, Seattle City, New Jersey. Now, I don't know if that's where it originally took place, but that's where I went on this kayak trip. How much did you pay to go? Oh, $40. $40? Yeah. That's pretty cool. Well, yeah, Kevin, yeah. when you come down to Tampa Bay, we'll get you a free kayak trip. How about that? Perfect. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I didn't get any kayak trips. This is, I have to go twice to get the kayak trip? Yep. Anthony, I don't think you'll fit in a kayak. <laughs> yep. That's true. That's true. I got in because Anthony of Kevin. Kevin two ka kayaks just for himself, one for each leg. I have two kayaks. They're called shoes. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, so we do have a viewer question that might be interesting to talk about. Um, uh, somebody was asking if, if there is a most endangered diamondback terrapin or if uh, we could call them all substantially endangered. Yeah, I think every state is different. I don't know the – Kevin, do you know the answer to that? Are they more – I would think the – I would guess up in the northeast is – the higher – the more urbanized, the worse, I would guess, right? I mean, I would, I would say the guess northerns the state are of Florida is probably better off. Yeah, I would say the northerns are more common. You see them a lot more. Um, they produce a lot more because they're easier and they're sold they're, – they're sold cheaper too, you know? So. But there's, there's two parts of the question though. I think when you're talking about endangered, you're talking about endangered in the wild and mm -hmm. versus what we see in captivity. So I think you're, when you're seeing Northerns in, in the pet trade more, it's because of their huge range, more opportunity than all the way along the coast from Cape Cod on down to, to actually find pockets where they still are abundant enough to collect them and bring them into the pet trade. So I would say that maybe, you know, like the, um, the mangrove diamondback terrapin might be the most rare in general in terms of numbers. But, you know, I don't know if I, if that could, if you could speak to that in, and, and that's, that's just a shot in the dark too. I don't know. It could be, uh, what's, what's the, what's the common name for Tequesta? Uh, Florida East Coast. That's the, that's, what's the, that's the common name of that diamondback? See, Florida I East Coast know. diamondback terrapin. Is that was that the one that you think would be the most rare as far like wh which one do you think would be most rare for like the least amount of animals that exist in the world for that subspecies? Because that I think would would kind of answer the question for endangered. But when you ask the question endangered, then it also talks about well, which one is most endangered as far as like 
the yeah. IUCN is concerned or whatever, and they don't really yeah. usually um, mess with subspecies necessarily. I think it's definitely between Tequesta and uh, mangrove. Uh, mangroves on, you know, very small area in the Keys and along, you know, the southern coast, and Tequesta's from a very, very small section in the Florida East Coast. Yeah, because north of that, you get into the Carolina Correct. terrapin. And I think the Carolina terrapin is my old savanna species is, is somewhat protected because they're not a handsome they're they're green they're they're duller um they, they seem to be bigger the females seem to be really big but uh um the, the people like the northerns because they're colorful and they like their ornates that's what you see the most of texas yeah uh, there are species of interest here in florida they're not considered endangered mm -hmm. well florida is one of the few places that has the ability to take from the wild yeah which I wish they'd stop. Yeah. Right. Now there are rules as far as there's a limit to how many you can have in your possession. Um, you can't take them for commercial purposes. Correct. Um, and then there are a lot of places that are locally protected as well. But that's something that we would, yeah, want to advocate for the changing of. Um, you know, I, t I speak a lot about, and I I've spoken on the podcast uh, as well, and so I'll try to keep it brief, but um, about the spotted turtle in, in my home state of Connecticut and how um, I kept them for years. They were the first species that I ever bred in captivity, and I, I had a lot of joy uh, from keeping them. But I gladly have uh, traded in uh, that, you know, selfish uh, want to keep them myself for um, now protection in my home state where um, they shouldn't be kept uh, by law. And uh, I'm happy if, if you know, it, it, maybe a few people get in trouble for doing something they shouldn't do, uh, and that means that I can't keep them at all, then I'm happy to uh, to make that trade, you know? Definitely agree. Yeah. Kevin will drink to that. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, I think, um, I think probably the, the mangrove and the, what is that, the East Coast? Florida East Coast. Florida East Coast. That yeah. sounds like a like a NCAA Sweet Sixteen Cinderella team. Yeah, I mean, hey, that's doesn't it? Florida East, Florida Gulf Coast. You said Florida East Coast. Florida Gulf Coast is the is the basketball team. You would know that though. You're not a sports guy. No, the Florida Gulf Coast would be the Mississippi's. What do they call them? What are, I know you're a basketball guy, Jack. What what do they call them? Like dunks? What do they call them? Like Dunk City or something like that? Oh, I forget. You're talking about um, Gulf Coast. Yeah, I, I don't know. That's yeah. down, down south of us here, yeah. Was that they, they FGCU? Two was that years that yeah, yeah, they were, and really undersized, but really athletic, a bunch of dunks. I can't remember what they call them. Dang. Google, where are you when I need you? <laughs> right here. <laughs> <sighs> so, Jack, I have a question oh, about um, your program that you're working on. Now, you've been doing it for seven years now. <laughs> In that time, what hardships have you shaming. faced? I'm sorry? You're shaming me. No, not at, all. not at all. I mean, it can't be easy to get this off the ground and rolling, you know, especially because what percentage of the population in Tampa or Florida in general truly care about this? You know, the fact that you're doing it yourself, you know, getting the ball rolling. Um, but what hardships have you faced kind of getting that out there, getting, to, getting them to even listen to you that you, you want to build this project? I would use my old slogan that no good deed goes unpunished. Um, 
I was, I would never, what, what, what bothers me the most, <laughs> I've been surprised by the amount of just feet dragging, bureaucracy, scared to do anything new. This was supposed to be a beginning, not a culmination. It was going to be my hope. I have worked in and around our parks for 14 years as an advisor on the boards of both our friends of the park and, and, the, and the, the, the recreational parks as well. And um, I know the directors very well. Um, it's not an expensive project. Uh, of course, these guys are under immense budget pressure all the time. But um, it, it's surprising because I was hoping this would be the first of other environmental, pro low, low maintenance environmental projects that we could do at other parks. So we have lots of native turtle species in and around Hillsborough County. We've got 60,000 acres of protected land here. You know, passive exhibits such as this can be educational. They're, they're not expensive. They can serve a great, a much greater purpose than, than the few dollars it's going to cost them a year to, to have them. And you saw the Na Nature Center, Anthony. We're already spending much more time than that inside on those aquariums and those types yeah. of things. So yep. I was shocked that I thought this was going to take me a year or two at most. Um, and I think what got me started on it was just when I started reading and I saw what they'd done in other places. They'd done in Maryland and New Jersey and other, you know, the, I, I forget the names of the various uh, Terrapin centers. But when I saw what they've done and that kids that go to the Terrapins don't know what it looks like, um, the, the answer, to, long answer to your question is, not very many people care about terrapins because I don't think anybody knows that they even exist in and around. Even if you're out in your boat, you probably, you've got to be very alert to see their little heads in, in, the, in, in the water. Right. So pro most people don't know that they probably even exist in and around here. So interesting. And the one thing you touched on too, you talk about all the effort that goes into those indoor aquariums and vivarium and all that type of stuff. And, you know, look at what hobbyists and, and what her, her pediculturists are doing in Florida. The reason you want to be in Florida is because the weather is perfect for keeping animals. And here's a native species that would do tremendously with natural sunlight, more space, uh, nighttime cool downs, uh, seasonal fluctuations in temperature and weather, rain, everything that an animal needs to kind of regulate and to have breeding and just healthy living like like you know um initiated for them uh it, a lot of it comes from the weather and and just the outside world and the elements and you're taking that away when you bring them inside and it's a big risk so and you know if, if you're willing to keep them inside why wouldn't you be willing to keep them outside and if you if when i was actually there to see what jack was doing I mean, the plan is sound. The drawings are uh, very well uh, presented and clean, and everything makes a lot of sense to me. But, you know, <laughs> I'm just a turtle guy, so I, don't, I guess I don't know all the other parts that go into it. Well, you mentioned a couple of things. I mean, I'm not a terrapin expert. I just have gotten, to, luckily, gotten to meet quite a few of them, like, like Jordan and Kevin um, and several others. Um, through the, the Facebook Diamondback Terrapin page, uh, the group there. But, you know, having lost, you know, I, when I, I went from that small aquarium and then I realized this would need to be a water turtle, 
<laughs> so then I actually went out and bought a baby pond, you know, one of those little round things. My, my wife loved having that on our deck. So mm -hmm. I actually progressed from there. I got a rescue female who's, you know, I've given antibiotics. She's still laying eggs, uh, laid eggs just a, a few weeks ago, but half of her shell's gone because, and I wanted to mention this for hobbyists out there, people that are listening, if you are going to have them, first of all, make sure that any terrapin you're going to have as a pet comes from a captive breeding program and not from the wild. Second thing, please make sure you understand their needs. They do not want to be in the water 24-7. They do need to get out. They need to have UVA be. The, the, the terrapin that I rescued, it's been four years in an aquarium, no natural light. Um, the shell was just horrible shape, and she's lost most of it now, and I don't know that it'll ever come back. Um, but then I built a pond, and it has natural sunlight, and I also supplement that with a light that's on a timer that's on about six hours a day that they will go congregate when the sun moves behind the, uh, the shade of my house. But uh, having, you know, and I've lost a couple of terrapins and that's a tough thing to do. So I have had to learn uh, terrapin husbandry, I guess is the hard way. And, and, uh, and, and having done that, I'm trying to replicate that in what I'm gonna build at that park. I'm trying to make sure that the, thing, the mistakes that I made um, are not replicated and that we build something that's low maintenance, that's safe, that, and we're hoping to be able to head start 25 or 30, you know, uh, baby terrapin every year. You also spoke about being able to provide educational opportunities to college students, um, people who are, you know, studying, uh, you know, um, environmental studies or things like this so that they can actually come in, work with a native species that is very dependent on the environment, environment and can almost be like a canary in the coal mine type of species that can uh, kind of reflect what's going on in, in the ecosystem um, and is a very important part of the ecosystem. Um, can you share something about, you know, your thoughts with as far as where, these, where this project could fit in educationally with, with maybe schools in the area? Yes, absolutely. Both, I think, elementary, high school, and colleges in the area. We have been approached by one young lady that's at St. Pete uh, College uh, taking some sort of um, a biology uh, a program, and she wanted to work with turtles. And they do lots of unpaid internships at the parks, and that would be the first route. I am hoping that someday we can figure out how to do some paid internships as well. Um, but we have hundreds and hundreds of kids that come through that park annually, and there will be educational materials, educational handouts. Uh, I keep wanting to put that Turtle Room logo up there if you guys will help me raise a couple of bucks. But um, um, that's the, the hope would be, and I'm trying to get the Terrapin community, the Diamondback Terrapin Working Group, very good science, not as good on outreach. Uh, yeah. Jordan, if you're listening, <laughs> I've told you this in private. <laughs> um, we can't just be scientists and write. We need to do the other things that we need to do to get the community involved because good science without telling the world about it and without, you know, sharing the, the, the experience will not translate into support of legislation or support of getting public money to, to build this Terrapin Center, which is on the bottom right um, of your screen right now. Um, 
but yeah, I, it, it needs to be a beginning and not an end. And hopefully we will continue to plagiarize. I know that's a bad word, but I have, I have loved some of the programs I've seen at other Terrapin centers and we're going to, I'm going to hoping to fly some of them down and have them visit. I want Jordan to visit. I would like to make sure that I am not the Terrapin expert, that we get Terrapin experts in there to help us get the maximum use out of this facility. If, if we're not copying off of successful other, uh, con programs in conservation, we're not doing our job, you know? Absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you, plagiarizing is a funny, you know, one of those funny words, but that's exactly what we should be doing. If somebody else has a successful, um, successful program in another area, we might be able to learn things and replicate that elsewhere for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I think we're doing the animals a disservice if we don't. Um, you know, if something's known to work, then, you know, it should be used everywhere. This, this is a, such an interesting species. And for anyone who hasn't seen the range map, I mean, they really go all along the coast, all the way from Cape Cod, all the way to Texas. And it's the most amazing range map you'll ever see where they're not going out to sea, but they're not coming inland at all. They're just right there in the mangroves and, and the estuaries and uh, marshy uh, areas around um, the coast and just all the way all the way along the coast. It's amazing. It's amazing because they do tolerate fresh and salt, but they seem to like that that brackish water mix. And they're right. really the only brackish water uh, native species that we have. So right. and, and Kevin will test that these subspecies uh, can actually interbreed, um, <laughs> which we're trying to make sure don't get into the wild. But. Yeah, and they do they do integrate naturally, and then and then there's the the history of the, the animals that were like captured for the food right. for, for the food market, but then maybe were released and released in the wrong area, and right. lots of genetics get messed up. Um, yeah, but I mean the, the other thing that really hurts the diamondback terrapin is you know if we talk about where the range map is, but then also talk about where huge uh, human populations are, tons of development and things like that when they're going to talk about the coast. Everybody wants to live on the coast. Everybody flocks to the coast in the summer during nesting season. That means tons of cars. If anyone's ever tried to go to Dairy Queen when they were on vacation or some other ice cream place, I don't know if that's national chain enough, but uh, some other ice cream place or something like that while they're on vacation for a week staying at a beach house, you know how tough it can be to get through the gridlock. I mean, way tougher than, you know, uh, driving through any city besides maybe New York. Just saying. Sorry, east uh, northeast guy with a little bit of hatred for New York traffic. But um, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like they're right there where all the people are right during their prime nesting season. They do love expensive real estate. They do. They do. They're like the bougiest turtle. Can we call where them? do we want to live? We want to live on the estuaries and coasts, which is where they naturally um, breed. And, and you know, the, the, the hatchlings typically will stay in the mangrove for about you know, seven, eight, nine months before they enter the, um, you know, enter into the system to, to start um, mingling. And, and I think that's where I, I ended up with that first baby. It was probably only a few months old and it probably had somehow gotten knocked loose by a bird or something out of where it was kind of hiding around because they typically will stay close to their nest for some, some period of time, months and months before they'll go into the, uh, into the ecosystem and get into the rivers and start, because they're just at that size, at a half dollar size, they're just they're just bait. <laughs> yeah, too vulnerable, right? Yeah, I, I um I I we notice that a lot in in um, research and things like that. That that 
smaller representations of, of particular species are not um, do not show up in research because they spend their first several months, uh, sometimes several years, hiding under the muck and not coming out to bask or, or things like that. Um, yeah, depending on depending upon the species. Not that uh, diamondbacks bask as much as some other species, but they certainly do bask. I know I've seen some great photos of a lot of them congregating to bask quite a bit. Did you see uh, the photo I, I took a few weeks yeah. ago? Yeah, beautiful. I was. That yeah. was through a telescope. It was probably 600 feet out, you know, but it was horrible picture, but really amazing representation. There's probably between 12 to 15 terrapins, like really on top of each other on a mud bank. It was really cool. They love to congregate. Even under my light, I, they will pile up on top of each other. It is, it is <clears throat> funny. They are. And in, in, in the wild, of course, they, they're nowhere near each other when they're in the water, but somehow they'll find these sunning locations and all congregate. But I, I'm, I can attest for you to, to know a terrapin is to love a terrapin. I, I, I dearly <laughs> found and fell uh -huh. in love with this, with this species. That's so great. It's true. It's true. I always joke that you can't get a picture of them in like, you just can't, they never stay still ever. They're constantly moving. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, um, can you, do we have the image of, of the actual, um, of the actual, uh, the drawing or, um, exhibit we have? Yeah, of the exhibit, you know, to, to kind of, so Jack could kind of explain what we're seeing there. and Yeah, can you zoom um, in on that lower right corner? Whoa. Um, I don't know I if we can could try. zoom. <laughs> it's, uh, can we zoom? Do we have the technology to zoom? We do, but it's being a little finicky right now. I'll, uh, I'll get this figured out here, and I'll put it up here on the screen in a minute or two so you can get talking about it. Well, hopefully everyone, Anthony, will watch the video that you and I did in, um, down at the, at the actual park. Yeah, which was a lot of fun. Thank you. Oh, thank you. It was an absolutely wonderful opportunity to, to be there and to see this. Um, so as it exists now, you know, those white, uh, the white framework is not there. And neither is Steve's desktop. <laughs> yeah, basically, if you look quickly, you can see the pier. We have actually existing piers that go out to the, to the kayak docks and the fishing docks. They go around the, the nature building uh, center, which is that building right there. And that, that plate glass window exists already today. Um, there was a honeybee exhibit there, which we're hoping to put back. Uh, we're making sure the mesh that we're going to build uh, would allow, you know, butterflies and, and, and honeybees and other things that come in there. Um, and then it's just going to be, I forget the, uh, the dimensions of this thing, but basically it's going to be a pond and and, and, and some sunning area and, and sandbanks for them to um, brunate in the winter and, and lay eggs in the spring. So um, we would hope that ultimately, I think this, this area could probably hold as much as maybe seven, eight or nine adult terrapin. We won't start off with that many. Yeah, I, mean, I think very easily they'd be able to spread out and, and not see each other too often. It is a big area. And it's great too. It's sloping, and you know, it's facing where the sun where the sun crosses over, and the soil's already sandy, um, and you know, it's filled with native plants that would. Yeah, it's, you know, it's less than a foot above the high tide mark where it is, right? Right. right if you went under that pier that's on the drawing there, you're at the high water mark of the of the upper Tampa Bay. 
Right. You talked about building it up with even more sand, right? To I'm nervous about really high tides, a good blow or, or you know, we get every once in a while we'll get a, a tide surge and you don't want to have everything just kind of wash out. So right. we'll, we'll try to protect that with, with uh, a little bit of, uh, we'll raise the elevation a little bit in some areas. So, oh, please, were you going to say something, Kev? Yeah, I was just going to ask, what's your plan for filtration for the water? Is there, because on tidal, are you planning on having the water just drain out and refill from the tide? We the tried pump? looking at that, but the trouble, our winter tides can be, the, the slope's so low, we'd have to build our PVC pipe out, I think, like 40 or 50 feet to have water all the time, mm -hmm. because it's, you know, it may be water at high tide, and it's mud for a long way at low tide. So I think what we're going to do is just fill it with fresh water. We'll put some marine salt in there, and we're going to just put a pump and a bead filter and make sure that we can handle overflow for rain or if it was a high tide so there's a place that the water can run off without taking everything with it. So um, I think we'll do it that way. That'll be very low maintenance. Um, and um, that's the way I've done it at, at, at my pond at home, and it's just so easy. That's great. So we just with the, we'll have a, we'll have freshwater um, uh, intake right there, and we'll have the outflow, and it's just we'll, we can add. The guys are already doing the cell, uh, the, the uh, salinity meters for the aquariums. They can handle. That'll be easy. Okay. I do have one more question. So in the wild, Dimeback Terrapins have. I mean, really unique abilities to get fresh water. They still need fresh water to drink. Uh, they'll drink rainwater as it collects on the top. Uh, they'll drink it off of each other's backs. It's pretty crazy. Um, I've however, seen them come up to my hose when I'm putting it into the, yeah. the pond and actually take a, a drink. Yes, but they, they, will, they will be places. What we'll probably have is I'm thinking some indentations where water can gather, rainwater can gather. We're also at that area of the bay. We'll keep it at the salinity of the bay. It's really very light brackish water. Okay. And they do have the capability of, of, of extruding salt. Yeah, they have glands in the right below their eyes, yeah. Next to that beautiful picture of my drawing of the, uh, was, was a t-shirt. <laughs> I'll do a uh, I'll do a really terrible plug. Shameless plug. Go for it, please. That's why, it was that's why we wanted you here. Yes. Well, um, actually, we had a, a, a some original artwork and we designed those T-shirts. And if if people want to a T-shirt or want to support in any way, there's plenty of ways for them to to do that through PayPal or credit cards. Or and if they give me twenty bucks, I'll be happy to ship them a shirt. Just tell me the size and address. So. Yeah, they're, they're, I should have gotten Kevin to wear his. Yeah, Kev, come on, man. Drop the ball. I've been wearing it for like three days now. It's, uh... <laughs> it's already got holes in it. Oh, there's, there's, man. there's no scent on these webcams. He wears that shirt to church. <laughs> that's, that's terrific. It really is a beautiful shirt. I love um, Yeah, I think sometimes, listen, as a guy who's been wearing reptile uh, paraphernalia for a while, you know, sometimes stuff isn't always the most attractive. And uh, that, that shirt really is. The artwork is beautiful. Um, I love that it's not uh, black on the, the white colored shirt. But the shirt, I don't even think is white either. It's kind of like an off-white. A little and bit off-white, yeah. And then even the, the, um, 
I'm going off my memory too, but even the design is like kind of a, a charcoal color instead of black. It's it really it really makes it look uh, really distinct. Yeah, we had to be very careful because we wanted that artwork, the the the, the gray shades <laughs> that show up in that artwork because um, it was uh, it was tough. It was tough to screen it, but um, we spent a couple extra bucks a shirt to make sure it really came through. Yeah, and you could tell. You could tell that wasn't just made cheap just to throw someone a shirt. That's right. that's a really nice shirt. It's nicely done. The image is really large. It looks good. It looks really good. So for anyone who wants to support the project, um, be sure to pick up one of those shirts or two or five for all your closest <laughs> friends. They really are really nice shirts. My You've wife got me in a back order situation already. So yeah, that's right. My wife has one. She absolutely loves it and wears it all the time. That's now that's that is the front of it. Yeah. That's a nice shirt. The guy seems to be missing his arms, though. Well, <laughs> he wanted the shirt so bad he was willing to give his arms. Yeah. We just want you to know the shirt is for everybody. We don't discriminate. You don't have to have arms to wear the shirt. That's true. This is true. <laughs> Kevin. <laughs> that's great. <clears throat> that's great. Oh, and by that's great, I mean that's not great. Um, yeah, that's, that's absolutely terrific. That's, that's a, a beautiful shirt. Uh, and, and representing, obviously, um, you know, the efforts to save one of the most beautiful turtles. And I joked before that it's the bougiest of all turtles. It's a very bougie turtle. Likes to live on the coast. Uh, named after a girl's best friend. Um, and um, is really one of the best-looking reptile species there is in the world. A lot of people like turtles. And if they don't know diamondback terrapins exist, and then they see a photo of one, and you see this Dalmatian looking thing i mean they can really be really striking and um you know beautiful to a level that a lot of people aren't even uh really sure exists and then you see it and you kind of remember the first time you see one or for a lot of uh turtle hobbyists you remember the first time you keep one because their personalities are so amazing and um you know there's like i said before they're so active tough to slow them down and get a photo they really are just great turtles and uh, there's a reason why Jack loves them, and there's a reason why Kevin loves them, and, and that we all love them. So uh, definitely a great turtle species. Well, I hope that we will have this thing built as I uh, get into a couple of the subspecies here. you got to find an ornate, though. The, yeah, um, I do hope yet. that this thing can get built in the next – I'd like to have it done by this end of this year. That's my – if I can break ground, it won't take long. We're waiting right now for Tallahassee to give us a, the permit to have more than two in captivity. As a government agency, which the park is, we don't have to get a permit, actually. We just have to write them a letter, tell them our intent, and then we have to wait God knows how long. And then they, there you go. That's a, that's a female <laughs> looking at that head. Yeah. Um, that's a gorgeous female right there. That is a pretty, pretty girl. And um, but hopefully we can break around and get it done. And, and a lot of the folks listening – well, come come visit us. Now, Jack, I have a question. So Florida laws are two per person, okay? Now, in a household, if you have three people, you can have <laughs> terrapins there. So in your organization right now, is that based on the organization being one person? I, you know, I, you've, you've thrown me a curveball. I don't know. Yeah, um, that's... I mean, I have violated the law. Every time I have hatchlings, I guess I'm, I'm in violation of law. Um, it's 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 silly because this is a conservation effort. I think it's going to be harder for us 
to have a Head Start program than anything else. Mm. Uh, I think that most state agencies would prefer that you destroy the eggs or destroy the hatchlings, which makes absolutely, and I know that this won't impact in a, in a, in a big way the numbers of terrapins in Tampa Bay. That's not the point. The point is showing, educating kids, having them see them from egg to, to, to hatching, to release, to adult, to, and, 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 and that becoming part of their understanding of the environment that they live in and them having an appreciation for a native species. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been, as I said, I've been working on this over seven years and I'm hoping it doesn't take another seven to finish this thing. I wanted this to be the first of many projects. I, I don't know if I'll live that long. <laughs> Have you, ever considered, sorry, have you ever considered doing a kind of like an in-house adoption program where kids can come in and like their parents could adopt one of the turtles for say, you know, so it's like, like adopt the highway, you know, they adopt the turtles so they see it grow, but it's growing at your exhibit. I think that's a, as long as people understand we aren't literally letting them take the turtle. Other, I know in Maryland or, or I believe is the way they do that. They have an adopt the turtle program. And I think it's a great idea as a fundraiser. And I have a feeling we'll have to continue our fundraising to, even though this will only be $1,000 a year to maintain with budget cuts, who knows what I'm going to be facing at the parks. And, and um, But um, I think it's a great idea. We, again, we will plagiarize every good idea we can possibly have. I want to have 20 or 25, you know, six-month-old hatchlings, each one being released by a, a school kid and let them watch them swim away and, 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 and be a part of that. And, you, and that would have to be a part of your permit, correct? Yes. We have to, we have, we have to be permit, permitted, I guess. It's not a permit, again. It just has to be a, a letter of understanding, state to county. Got it. Sorry, right, the letter of understanding. So do you think that's the piece that maybe is holding things up for the time being? You know, have uh, if I ever understood government bureaucracy, I guess I would be a genius. I, I don't know. Yeah, it's frustrating. And sometimes, sometimes things just take a long time because that's they just do. the way things things go. And um, I'm, I'm my fingers are crossed. Um, every time I'm checking in on the um, popular Diamondback Terrapin page on Facebook, I'm I'm hoping for positive uh, updates. And I know they'll come. Just like you said, don't really know when. I'm going to be sneaking over there in the middle of the night with my little shovel and, and hammer and start building it myself. If it gets, <laughs> if it gets I don't blame you. I wanted to, to take a second to talk about that, that uh, photo that, that Steve shared of that um, macrocephalic female ornate diamondback terrapin. So um, female diamondback terrapins in the wild will feed on mollusks and uh, will use that those large jaw muscles, and that's why her head is so big. Um, she'll use those large jaw muscles to um, break through the shells of the mollusks, and the males don't have the same diet. Um, and uh, that's that's why they have uh, that large head, um, and it's called macrocephala, macrocephalia, or, or um, that turtle will be macrocephalic, which basically means large head. Um, it happens with females. It does not happen with males, and that's actually common in, in many species. It happens in the Grabdomus genus, uh, map turtles. It also happens with some Asian turtles, like the Reeves turtle is a, is a famous, uh, a famous uh, a member of that 
of that group of turtles where where the females will will get that very large head um, from from their diet and it's it's arguable um, many people argue that this just happens in the wild and that it's hard to replicate this in captivity um, with the diet that's offered um, Kevin do you know of any um, captive raised females that will have a head like that I've never seen them and that's one of the things is when people start showing their animals you can tell right off the bat if they're wild caught if they get them as adults because you see that large large head um, I have a, I have a few that are had the large head and it's part of you know our conservation programs that we're working on um, but yeah in, in captivity you know majority of people are feeding them pelleted diets these things that are pretty soft they don't need to kind of crunch down on and I mean their head being this large it's a muscle you know you work your yeah. muscle out it gets larger they're biting on these shells from mollusks and crabs and whatnot and they need this powerful muscle to crush through it so they grow larger naturally yeah one of the things that's that, yeah one of the things that we were told by Jordan and we're going to adopt the one thing we're not going to do is not going to be a liner based pond it'll be it'll be a concrete that that is not going to tear their feet up. I understand we have to be careful about that, but we're also going to line the bottom with oyster shell, um, so they do have they are able to get in there and, and work those those uh, mandibles that they have. And having been nipped by both males and females, I, the, the girls can 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 they leave a pinch. <laughs> I wanted to say too. I think it's important to 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 talk about that for exactly what Kevin said. In, in that, you know, when you're on Fauna Classifieds or whatever website and you see these animals for sale and you want to do the right thing and you want to do exactly what Jack just, you know, warned us all to try to do is to buy captive bred animals and you see, you know, a cool subspecies like the Mississippi Diamondback Terrapin, which is often um, offered for sale on the classifieds or at least was for a while offered for sale quite a bit. A lot of those females had that big head and you can see and the prices were pretty good and the sellers pretty motivated to sell and all that good stuff. And then people buy them and you don't hear anything, but then all of a sudden they're back up for sale or there's new ones that look just like them back up for sale. And you have to understand that you're really contributing to something that is taking animals out of the wild and, and really just know that I can tell you a lot of diamondback keepers who take animals from the wild really don't have a lot of success with acclimating them to captivity. So you're really um, taking an animal out who has a small chance of survival um, for no real reason besides just your own amusement. So I really- I'll tell you a funny story. Quiet. Yeah. Just, I, this will be my last one. I know you guys got to run, but the <laughs> we actually had a, 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 a rescue out of a crab trap and she was pretty beat up and gravid. So I wanted to give her a little bit of time before putting her back in the wild. So I put her in my pond because we don't have a facility at the park. And I have a pretty high wall around my pond that my turtles have never gotten out of. She climbed out, this, this, this animal climbed out of this pond twice. And I finally just realized, you know, she's ready to go back in the wild. It was the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life because my captive, Terrapin would ne couldn't even think about climbing out. I don't know how she did it. So I actually have a video on my YouTube channel of a couple of years ago of my my daughter and I taking and letting her go back out in this in the Sweetwater Creek. But uh, I was amazed, and but she was she was wild and and had wanted nothing to do with captivity. 
there's a good chance that if, um, like you're saying, she's gravid, she didn't find like the area where you had her suitable to lay her eggs. So she was probably searching for an area she needed. I was to get hoping. <laughs> yeah. I think Steve had a, um, a yeah. relatively unrelated article that he wanted to share. Not totally. <laughs> right. And it's, you know, I guess it's relatively unrelated, but I think in reality, um, the diamondback terrapin is one of those highly desirable animals that could be hit by this exact thing. And so many of our viewers may have already seen this article uh, from the LA Times. I think it was actually published uh, for this morning's paper and on their website this morning. And so <clears throat> many of us in the turtle world know that um, the Southeast Asian turtles and tortoises are the, pretty much the most, some of the most endangered because they've been eaten and medicined and collected um, far beyond their ability to sustain uh, wild, um, wild populations. And so now big spenders in China are targeting, and this isn't necessarily new, but it's a, getting to a big audience finally. And so, you know, big spenders in China are targeting U.S. species of turtles and tortoises as collector's items and cuisines. And this comes up because um, recently um, 70 spotted turtles and 100 eastern box turtles were confiscated um, on their way to China to satisfy the collecting and the food, et cetera, drive from, from China. Um, and so what happens is they get poached illegally um, from their native states. Then they get typically shipped legally from wherever that destiny, from wherever that is to the Western coast of the United States, where they are then um, exported illegally and smuggled out, out of the country. And so our best way to get them is by catching people trying to leave the West Coast airports for, for Asia. Well, let's be honest, though. Spotted turtles and eastern box turtles are not being turned into cuisine after being sent all the way over there. Yeah. For the most part, not. But you'd be surprised, probably, by even the people who would want that little bit of delicacy because of what it represents culturally to them. I mean, let's be honest. It's not like the turtles that they've eaten before are big animals either, right? Well, bigger than spotted turtles though. Yeah. Well, yeah, but you know, they're, but Spanglary, four eyed, some of them, you know, aren't that much bigger. Yeah. You could still throw them into a soup. It's true. But they, they call, I mean, look at the spotted turtle and, and, you know, um, Chinese culture really loves those, those pretty animals. Um, I believe in Hong Kong, the translation for the name of the spotted turtle is the Starry Night Turtle, which is obviously a great name for for their appearance. Who wouldn't want to to have one of those as a status symbol? Um, they're absolutely beautiful species, and um, it's a shame that that they're being taken not only to satisfy the pet trade here and in Europe, but also in Asia. Um, a lot of our species are all over Europe and Asia, um, and you know that's not necessarily the worst thing if it was done in legal safe ways a lot of times these smuggled animals are um taken in really inappropriate and uh unsafe ways for the animals so that's that's a shame and the article was written by drumroll steve don't leave me hanging lewis sahagan uh-huh 
Interesting. James Liu provided some of the pictures and some of the quotes and stuff, and so did uh, Paul Gibbons also of the Turtle Conservancy. I'm embarrassed. I thought James Liu rip, wrote the article. I'm embarrassed. No, but his, his name uh, is ca- under the caption for the top picture. Got it. So he was just captioned in the photo. I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed. I thought he wrote that. I was like, man, that's awesome. I want to write for the LA Times about turtles. It was a really well-written article, which you could, you know, imagine uh, for it to, to be in the LA, LA Times. Uh, Start small. Let's get the Hartford Current, and we'll work our way up. Get me in. Get me in. I would love to write for the Hartford Current, but I'm stu- too scared to ask. I get nervous. I don't know what to do with my hands. Sorry. That's really great. Though. I'm happy you shared it and, and hopefully it'll open some people's eyes. I mean, just like Jack said, this is, these are, you know, domestic problems that, that are right here in our backyards or in our, the backyards of our summer vacation homes. Uh, not that I have ever had one of those or have ever been to one, but um, yeah, I mean, they're right here and, and, you know, a lot of people don't even know what's going on and don't even know, that the species that they grew up admiring as, as kids are no longer abundant or um, that there even are these special turtle species right there in, the, in their own uh, neighborhoods. So um, it's, it's that important. And uh, Steve, I think you had a, another question that you wanted to. We do. Uh, and I thought a great way to end a discussion about your project, Jack, would be, and somebody actually had asked about this in, our, in the live chat area um, for viewers um, and so it was simply how could somebody get involved in your program project, be it somebody across the country who may just be able to donate or maybe even more specifically people who are in the greater Tampa area, how could they help you succeed and make this project really come to life? Well, there's lots of ways to support money is what we need right now. Of course, uh, if it gets to a situation where we're having to push for legislation, um, it, it, you know, some people can't afford to donate something. But what they could do, they could afford to do if we build this thing, is they can come out, they can visit, they can, they can. We'll probably have a mailing list. They can, they can participate because if we start things like, let's try to get turtle excluders on the Gulf Coast of Florida, we might have a petition drive, or we might have to petition even our, our local representatives for something. And environmentalism can be, it can, as I taught my kids, just make sure that anytime you go somewhere, you come back with one more thing than you left with. That's the first start. The first start is to do no harm, right? And the, the next thing is, is to educate yourself. I mean, you're, they're listening to this podcast, which is great. That means they're interested. And hopefully they'll come visit uh, if people can afford to, to, to donate for a tax-deductible donation or they want a, a T-shirt. That's great as well. Um, tell your friends. Um, I'm hoping this thing will be there in 2018 so that people can go to Upper Tampa Bay Park. If they are in the area of Tampa Bay, uh, we're, we're just on the top of the bay, almost at Racetrack Road, um, where the Hillsborough and Pinellas county borders uh, almost run into each other. And, and that's where Upper Tampa Bay Park is. If people look at Hillsborough County Parks, they will be able to search for that park name and see it. It's a almost a 600 acre um, conservation park with kayaking and and just hiking and picnicking. It's, pa- it's one of our passive parks. Mm. And I've been there and it's absolutely gorgeous. 
So for anyone who's in the area and is just looking for a beautiful place to, to stop in and, and see maybe any progress or just see a beautiful spot, it really is wonderful. We have a video on our YouTube page that details my trip there that I took in early March. And it was absolutely wonderful, even though uh, the winds would make you think that I had flown into Seattle. Um, it, it was, I mean, Chicago. Sorry, Seattle's rain. Um, Chicago. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, was, it was really wonderful and um, a pleasure being there. And, and you know, I, I can't thank uh, Mr. Berlin enough for, for bringing me out there. And I know I feel obligated to help in some way. Um, just the same way that he felt obligated to help the more that he researched that that little turtle that he found years back and I think the world needs more people like Jack Berlin and um, I'm happy to live in a world where he's here and and to be able to call him a friend and, and a colleague and, and a partner and, and whatever else um, and I hope that some other people will will be happy to do the same and step up to the plate and, and do what they can to, to help this project come to fruition because it really is important. And, you know, if, if, if there were more people like Jack in the world, then, you know, turtles would be in a lot better situation and the world would be in a much better place. So thank you for everything you're doing. Well, you're too kind. You <laughs> certainly need more turtles that look just like this one. <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of scary, man. I love that. Turtle. The, bigger head, the bigger the head, the better there. That's right. I, I was thinking it's a, it's a, we could do a take on that old song. I like big heads and I cannot, you know. <laughs> Sir Turtle. Oh, I'm not sure. What song, what song is that? Could you sing the, could you sing the original? I'm not sure if I know. Our audience is gone now. Yeah, they are. <laughs> the, if they're not, they'll be gone if Anthony starts singing the original. <clears throat> opera style. I'll sing it opera style. Don't. Well. Don't toy with me. I'll do it. Mm. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we thank you for joining us. Um, Jack, thank you for uh, being our special guest tonight as well. Really glad to have you on, get to know you a little bit more. Um, once again, for Anthony Pierleone and Kevin Minto, I'm Steve Enders. Have a great night. It was fun. Thank you. Thank you, Jack.